Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. In our short series, Preparing for the Feast, we are seeking to answer three questions. The first question is, why are we to prepare for the Lord's Supper? And the answer is threefold. One, it is commanded. Two, preparation is the manner of coming worthily to the Lord's table. And Paul says in verses 27 following that if we do not prepare, we do not come worthily and we drink guilt and judgment. Full and intense self-examination for true faith and an active exercising of our graces so that our faith is active meditating on Jesus Christ. The knowledge of the Lord's Supper is conscience, conscious. It is a spiritual means of nourishing faith due to Jesus Christ's atonement. And we have fellowship with him. Our love is stirred because he is altogether lovely. Our repentance is renewed. Our hearts are contrite because we have been repenting. And we seek evangelical obedience to live more and more for the glory of God. This afternoon or this evening, we come to our last question. How do we partake of the Lord's Supper? What are we to do? When we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's a basic question. But often this isn't taught in the church. It's assumed. As if you automatically know what to do. And that's wrong. We should be instructed. This is why in the larger catechism. Question 174 and 175. Teaches us what we are to do. When we partake. And we want to answer this question under three headings. One, approaching the table. Two, sitting at the table. And three, departing from the table. First of all then, approaching the table. The one who will communicate has already prepared. They have spent the past week in the word and prayer and meditation. Their faith is alive on Christ. Their love is not cold, but has been set anew on the Saviour. They are repenting of their sins. They're humble partakers. And they are seeking means of grace to grow in grace. And they come to the Sabbath worship service. 
They are engaged in the elements of worship beforehand. They're praying to God. They are hearing the reading of the scriptures. They have heard an appropriate sermon on the theme of Christ's work. And now, now it's time to come to the Lord's Supper. As we will be in our pews, we'll be standing singing Psalm 118. And then after the second stanza, we will begin to come to the table and stand at the table finishing the psalm before being seated. And so as we are singing and arising, we are to come remembering. Remember, this is a remembering ordinance. Verse 24, this do in remembrance of me. We are to remember this is the Lord's Supper. Verse 20. We are coming to the Lord's table. Chapter 10, verse 21. This means the Lord is here. Remember, as you approach the table, you're going to him. He is your Jesus, your husband, your mediator, your God. He is your covenant head. He is the love of your life. He is your all in all. It is his table, a place of fellowship and feasting. This is important because just as Satan was present at the institution of the Lord's Supper, he has a tendency to be present at the administration of the Lord's Supper to give doubts and fears and anxieties to Christ's people. And he wants you to doubt. He wants you to think how unworthy you are. He wants you not to come. But if you remember, it's the Lord's table. This will encourage you. Because he has bought you with a price, even the precious blood of himself. And therefore, he is worthy of you. And he himself invites and calls and commands you to come. You are to come freely without money and without price. And he has a heart for you. Remember what we read in Luke 22? At the first Lord's Supper, Jesus said, With desire, I desire to eat this Passover with you. The same's today. Or should we say the same will be in the Lord's Day? With desire, he desires to be with you at the Lord's table. So remember, it is the Lord's table as you approach. And you are to come to this table in three ways. First of all, come as the bride of Christ. Come as the bride of Christ. The church has fellowship with Christ. Psalm 45 verse 10. Hearken, O daughter, and consider... 
Incline thine ear, forget also thine own people and thy father's house. Listen, my bride. Consider this. Forget your former ways. Forget your past life. Forget your sins. Forget your errors. You're now mine. Come. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. How am I beautiful? Do you not have his robes of righteousness around you? Justification by faith alone. For he is thy Lord and worship thou him. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought to thee. This is you. This is you. So arise like a woman going down the aisle to meet her husband. Come as a bride. Secondly, come to worship him. Remember, this is first and foremost an act of worship. In verse 24, when it says we are to give thanks, Eucharista. You are coming to worship Jesus, giving thanks for who he is and what he's done. Do this in remembrance of me. That's just not a memory of the past. In the Bible, remembrance means that you come to do an action. So when the Lord heard the sufferings of his people in Egypt, it said he remembered his covenant. It's not like he forgot it and then it just came to mind. Remembering his covenant means he's going to act. And in verse 26, we are to show forth, proclaim, to herald the Lord Jesus Christ's death. So come worshipping, just as we read in Psalm 45, verse 13. He is thy Lord, worship him. Come and worship in a particular way. Adoration. Adoration. What is adoration? Benjamin Morgan Palmer, the Southern Presbyterian, he defines adoration as this. Adoration may be defined as the homage rendered to God in the immediate view of his majesty, blessedness and glory. Filling the soul with corresponding emotions of veneration and awe. It is the entire prostration of the spirit before God. Under its conception of the grandeur and holiness of the divine nature. It is the outpouring of these conceptions and emotions in the language of direct worship to him in whom these consummate perfections reside. There's a picture of this in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 12. While the king sits at the table, the Shulamite comes and sends forth the spikenard thereof. Just like Mary of Bethany in John 12. When she came and out of adoration took a jar of spikenoff and anointed the Lord. So we are to come worshipping him and adoring him. He is there. 
Give him your love. Give him your joy. Give him your admiration. Give him your honour and your glory and your praise. Come and adore your King. And thirdly, approach him by renewing your vows. Approach him by renewing your vows. Remember, this is a covenant meal. Verse 25, the shedding of the blood signifies the New Testament or the New Covenant. Now, Christ does not need to renew his covenant because it stands strong forever. But he will be confirming his covenant for our weakness. We need renewed displays of the covenant of grace for our assurance and confidence. But we have a part to play too. As he sheds his blood in the pouring of the wine to renew your promise in the covenant of grace, you respond with your covenant vows. What's your covenant vows? You renew your Profession of faith in him. Isaiah 44 verse 5. One shall say, I am the Lord's. Another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. Another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. So here it's saying that people will covenant with the Lord God. They will publicly profess allegiance to him as Lord and serve him. And in verse 26, we are doing the same thing. We're professing, proclaiming him as our Lord. Come. He is my Lord. He is my God. His promise is for me by faith and All that is encompassed in the covenant of grace is mine. So come as a bride, come in worship, and come in your covenantal vows. Secondly, sitting at the table. You're now seated at the table. What are you to do? First of all, Engage your heart in the communion of the saints. Remember, this is a communion. This is a corporate act of worship. The problem with Corinth was they were treating it as a purely individualistic ordinance. In verses 17 and 18, I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you. People were coming in an individualistic mindset, no matter what anyone else is doing or eating or drinking. It was purely, they would say in their defence, between them and Jesus. And Paul says, no, you're coming together. (laughs) By definition, together means other people. 
And so we are to engage in the communion of the saints. And the administration and furnishing of the Lord's Supper helps us in this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 to 17, we'll be quoting this verse a few times. So bear with me in patience with that. But it says that the cup of blessing which, not I, we bless. The bread which we partake of, it's a we, not an I. In verse 17, for we being many are of one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of the one bread. And in verse 21, it says, you cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and with the table of devils. Just note there the Lord's table. And so everything is saying communion of saints. We are all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We are all members of the one body with the one head. And this is represented when we are seated, not individually away from each other, but together around one table of fellowship. We come in a common cup passed and shared among us. Oneness. We come and partake of the one loaf of bread, oneness. And so as you see it, brother and sister partaking and passing on and sharing, let your hearts be filled with love for your brother and sister. Let your inward thoughts be, he's my brother, she's my sister, I love him, I love her. Engage your hearts at the table in the communion of saints. Secondly, you must have the exercise of faith. Too often in the church today, it can come across as having faith is enough at the Lord's table. It's not. A true born-again believer can have faith and not be blessed at the Lord's table. Because we must not only have the habit of faith, but the act of faith. The faith must be exercised. For when it says here in verse 24 to 26, take eat and drink. These are actions. You're eating and drinking. And these physical actions are symbolising spiritual eating and spiritual drinking. We quoted this just a couple of weeks ago. Repeating in John chapter 6 verse 47, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And then Jesus Christ takes the actions of eating and drinking as illustrations of spiritual faith. Verse 53, except ye eat the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. 
And so I've never eaten food in my life by looking at it. I must take that food and put it in my mouth. I've never had a drink of anything in my life except for putting it in my mouth and drinking it. I have the ability to eat and the ability to drink. And looking is not the exercise of eating and drinking. And so at the Lord's table, we're not merely to have the habit of faith, but the exercise and the action of faith. John Owen gives a a wonderful description of how this exercise of faith brings the blessing. John Owen says, The great work of faith is to make things that are absent present to a soul in regard to their sweetness, power and efficacy. That's beautiful. I can believe Jesus Christ and there can be no sweetness or efficacy or power in my present soul. I'm just saying it mentally. But if I exercise faith, then Christ who is absent in terms of he's physically not here, he's in heaven. But by faith, he is very much real and within me. And exercise faith is not merely assenting to the truth of Christ dwelling in me by faith, but the sweetness and the power and the efficacy within him, within me, is real. So how are we to exercise faith at the table? In four ways. First of all, exercise faith in the spiritual presence of the Lord. Don't merely assent and agree, but exercise your faith and trust that Christ is truly present. It's the Lord's table, he's here. It's the Lord's supper, he is here. We should be like Jacob in a way. I say in a way and you'll see why. When Jacob was leaving his home to go to his uncle's uh, residence, he goes to Bethel and he experiences God. And he says in Genesis 28, 16, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. This is none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The reason why I said like Jacob is because he is right. We should come to the Lord's table and say, surely this is the house of God. Surely this is the dwelling place. This Lord's table is the very gate of heaven because Christ has come down by the Holy Spirit to be present with me. The reason I said not always like Jacob is because I knew it not. I knew it not. Now you ask Jacob, do you believe in the omnipresence of God? He would say, of course God is omnipresent. So knew it not as an intel- not an intellectual knowledge, but an experience of the knowledge. And so we should come in the experience of the knowledge that comes by faith, trusting that Christ is present and the table is the gate of heaven. Now, how exactly is Jesus Christ present? 
Look at the words of verse 24. The bread, this is my body. Verse 25, the cup, this is my blood. Jesus Christ is present in the sacrament. What is a sacrament? A sacrament's not bread. A sacrament is bread and wine united to the word of God. If there's only bread and there's only wine, there is no sacrament. But the bread and the wine united to a visible word, a visible sign and seal. And Jesus Christ is present in the bread and wine, not physically. The bread is not changed into the body and the, blood, and the wine is not changed into the physical blood. But Jesus Christ always remains in heaven and the bread and wine always remain bread and wine. But through the word of institution, this is my body, this is my blood. And the power of the Holy Spirit unites Christ in heaven to the bread and wine so that when we come, he is spiritually present. Quoting chapter 10, verse 16 again. The cup which we bless, is it not the communion, the fellowship, the participation of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, the fellowship, the participation of the body of Christ? And how is Christ united on earth? The Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. If you have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Benediction every week. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. How does the grace and love of the Father and the Son come to earth? By the communion of the Holy Spirit. John Calvin. Though it seems an incredible thing that the flesh of Christ while at such a distance from us in respect of place, should be food to us, let us remember how far the secret virtue of the Holy Spirit surpasses all our conceptions. How foolish it is to wish to measure its immensity by our feeble capacity. Therefore, what our mind does not comprehend Faith conceive, namely, that the Spirit truly unites things separated by space. That sacred communion of flesh and blood by which Christ transfuses his life into us, just as if it penetrated our bones and marrow, he testifies and seals in the supper. Not by presenting a vain or empty sign, but by exerting an efficacy of the Spirit by which he fulfills what he promises. As Calvin says, we don't have a clue how this happens. <laughs> but the promise is there. This is my body. This is my blood. And therefore, what the mind cannot understand, let faith receive.
So faith, trust that Jesus Christ himself by the Holy Spirit is with you in the bread and wine. Secondly, exercise faith in fellowshipping with Christ. He's there. Fellowship with him by faith. If we're only partaking by sight, a bread, a cup, and our faith is not looking through the symbol to Christ himself, there will be no blessing. Because bread and wine do not give you any spiritual blessing. But Christ symbolised in the bread and wine give you blessing. So when you see the actions, use the actions as signs of Christ. Abraco, that great Dutch uh, second reformation theologian, he helps us. Do not focus on the external signs only, for you know they cannot feed your soul. Also, let not your heart turn from them in order to receive Jesus immediately, that is by faith only. Such activity is it to transpire outside of the Lord's Supper. Rather, in a conscious and feeling manner, unite the sign with the matter signified, and behold in them the breaking of the body of Christ and the shedding of his blood, and with that his love and the efficacy of his suffering unto the forgiveness of your sins. See what he's saying? Do not look to the symbols in themselves and only see physical symbols. Neither turn away from the symbols and just receive them by faith in yourself. You can do that every week with the preaching of the word. This is a sacrament. So through the signs, faith is exercised. Christ's body broken for me. Christ's blood shed for me. He did it because he loves me. And I have full forgiveness of sins. And then your faith will be blessed. Thirdly, exercise your faith in Christ crucified. It is not merely Christ, but Christ crucified. It is his body broken for you. And it is his blood shed for you. There's an emphasis on his death. The larger catechism says, affectionately meditate on the Lord's death at the time of partaking. You have the symbols teaching you. So remember his suffering by faith. Exercise your faith and remember the lashings and the flagellation and the spitting in his face and the punching him 
putting a crown of thorns over him and dressing up in a purple robe and laughing at him. Think of the way of the cross. Think of the nails and the cross. But most of all, think of the spiritual sufferings of Christ. How he was forsaken of his own disciples. Forsaken of his own people, the Jews. And how he was forsaken of God the Father. Remember his death. Exercising your faith with an affectionate meditation of his death. I said death and not dead. Because he's not dead. Remember he is risen. We show forth the Lord's death till he comes. And don't divorce the two. We distinguish but we do not separate. Remember Romans 4. He was delivered for our offences and raised for our justification. The reason why we're forgiven is not only because of his death. But and also his resurrection from the dead. So do not remember he's dead because he's not. He is risen and that's good news. But remember his atoning death during the administration of the Lord's Supper. Fourthly and finally, exercise your faith on redemption accomplished. John Owen is very instructive here. He says, do not come to the Lord's table and have faith in a Christ who can atone for your sins. No come to the table and exercise faith on a saviour who will atone for your sins. You come to the table and exercise your faith on a saviour who has completed the atonement. And you're there simply to receive it again by faith like a gift. Remember those words on the cross, it is finished, which means completed and accomplished. Which means everything's done 2,000 years ago and was applied to you at faith. So he has propitiated, completed the wrath of God. He has already satisfied fully the justice of God. He has already reconciled you to God. You're a friend of God now. He has already expiated your sins. They're covered by his blood. You come knowing there's a full, complete, perfect, accomplished, sufficient atonement And you're being reminded again, it is completely done for you. And this answers the question, what exactly is the blessing of the Lord's table? When I was in seminary in Edinburgh, Scotland, our church history professor was obsessed with asking that question. This is the answer. The blessing is your faith exercised is renewed and confirmed. Christ has died for you. The atonement is complete. 
You are completely and utterly forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. He will give you every blessing, every grace, every sanctification, every strength, every perseveration you need. You have eternal life and you have the right to heaven. And your faith is tangible of it. Most often it's not electricity. Some people expect lightning in the soul. An all-powerful out-of-body experience. But remember like Elijah. The Lord was not in the fire. The Lord wasn't in the, the earthquake. The Lord was in the still, small voice. And in the sacrament, word and sign, your faith remain, receiving it. I am my beloved's and I am his. He loved me and he gave himself for me. I faint and fail, but God doth fail me never. And I am saved. That's the blessing. That is not to deny that sometimes it's more than a still small voice. Sometimes it is the Holy Spirit shedding abroad abundantly the love of God into your heart. So you're filled with a tangible, felt experience of love. And we want that more. But just because you don't have that doesn't mean you weren't blessed. So no, God is in the still small voice. And to some degree, he will give you a confirmation of Christ to you. (coughs) Thirdly, departing from the table. I would encourage you in your own time to read Larger Catechism 175. But I want to just give three instructions for departing from the table. And they all come under the heading of keep. Keep your heart. Keep, your, keep the love of God. And keep your vows. First of all then, keep your heart. As Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart for out of it are all the issues of life. Watch over and protect your heart. For two reasons. Number one, because we are flesh, we are prone to forget. Psalm 103 verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. And reason two, as we've already stated, as Satan was present in the institution of the Lord's Supper, he is always seeking to snatch the word of God out of our hearts. You are blessed at the table and you depart from the table and then it's gone. It's gone. This is often just like every Sabbath worship service. You hear the word of God preached, the benedictions given, amen, and immediately you forget the word of God and then the rest of the Lord's day is without serious meditation of what just happened in the preaching of the word. James 1 says, when we come before the mirror, it is a fool who goes away and forgets. 
And so just like every week, what are we to do after the preaching of God's word? We're to remember the word, protect the word, keep it in our minds so that the blessing continues. And so keep your heart. Keep your heart. What are you thinking about after the worship service? What is in your heart and on your mind after the Lord's Supper? Your flesh and the devil will tempt you to ignore everything that just happened, focus on something else and forget what happened. Don't do that. Privately, personally, meditate on the Lord's Supper. What was said? How you blessed? What did you experience? Was Christ's love renewed to you? What blessings were given to you? Keep it and protect it on your heart. Secondly, keep yourself in the love of God. You've received a new tokens of his love. Jude verse 20. Beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep yourselves in that love. When you are fellowshipping with others, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ on the Lord's day, fill it with the love of God. Fill it with the atonement. Fill it with the person of Jesus Christ. Keep yourself from talking of worldly, vain things. Over the Sabbath fellowship meal, keep the love of God flowing. Ask questions about the sermon or something from the Lord's Supper or share something from your preparations. Whatever it is, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. And on the Monday and on the Tuesday and the Wednesday and the Thursday, keep yourself in the love of God. You have been preparing all week. You've been engaging in spiritual exercises. Don't give them up. Keep yourself reading the Bible daily and consistently and carefully and intensely. Keep yourself in prayer carefully. Keep yourself in meditation do not let your spiritual exercises grow during a communion season and completely plummet on a monday or a tuesday keep yourself in the love of god and may the blessings flow and continue thirdly keep your vows keep your vows psalm 116 verse 12 what shall i render unto the lord for all his benefits towards me. And he says, I will pay my vows unto the Lord. That is, the things that I have promised to do, I will do. We have promised to be the Lord's, to serve him and to obey him and to walk with him and be holy and kill our sin and grow in grace and grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Keep your vows. 
Make the Lord's Supper a time of reviving power, renewed energy, renewed determination to live closely to the Lord and obey him and serve him. That sin you've been struggling with and you confessed it this week with repentance. Don't just think, oh, magically, it's never going to affect me again. Easy peasy, I repented, it's never going to tempt me again. Don't, don't be so foolish. But using the grace of the Lord's Supper, renewing your exercise in him, continue to mortify that sin. And if you have made a resolution about particular areas that you need to grow in in the Christian life, apply those resolutions from here on in. Now, we're sinners. I'm a sinner. You know, we're going to trip and we're going to fall, aren't we? We all do it. But you don't despair. You go back to the grace of the Lord's Supper and you remember. So you made a resolution. There's a particular sin you're struggling with. And on Wednesday it comes up. Oh, what a failure I am. Go to Lord. Lord, I failed in it. My strength is not enough. Give me more strength, more power, more motivation, more grace of Christ. And then continue in his word, in his strength to serve and live for the Lord Jesus. So here we have how we are to partake of the Lord's Supper. Let us do it this coming Sabbath. Amen. The Lord bless the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the grace of the sacrament. And we are thankful that we are to come by faith Take, eat and drink. Help us in the midst of this, midst, midst of this sacramental season to do such a thing. May we come this Sabbath day and may we not look by sight alone, but by sight in the elements, our faith is exercised and receiving our Christ. And may thy Holy Spirit bring great efficacy and assure us, strengthen us and shed abroad the love of God into our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen.